In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Justin Jackson about growing his new SaaS business, Transistor.fm, up to $10,000 a month in MRR. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 113. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Wadden, and today it is my pleasure to welcome back recurring guest, Justin Jackson. How's it going, Justin? Good, man. Yeah, it's good. It's always good to see your smiling face on the other side of the country. Yeah, you as well. But new room today. You're, you, this is like your new studio now. Yeah, we moved uh, last summer, so... Got a new office, and uh, I got windows in this office now, not in the basement anymore, so that's great. Oh, man, that makes all the difference. Yeah, it's awesome. Cool, man. So the reason I wanted to have you on the show today is uh, because I guess for like the last year and a bit now, you've sort of been on this sort of new journey of working Mm -hmm. on kind of like a SaaS business, kind of pivoting out of the... uh, the info product and sort of training product space and trying to do yeah. something with some recurring revenue with some software. And, uh, recently you guys had a pretty awesome milestone with that of a uh, 10 K a month in MRR. And I thought yeah. it'd be awesome to sort of talk about the story a little bit and talk about kind of what you had to do to get there so that listeners who want to build their own software products can get some sort of insight into what it actually takes. Um, you know, to, to build something up to a level where it's actually making an, enough money to feel like it's a real thing, you know, with some momentum behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, it's still pretty fresh too. I think we launched officially eight months ago in August Nice. and then we were, we've been working together since really kind of January of 2018. And before that, John was working on the product for about six months. So he was working on it by himself for six months and he was really doing it because he works for cards against humanity and they wanted to launch a show. And so he thought, okay, I'll just build something for cards and then maybe it'll become something else later. And so he built this really small thing that was just for cards. And then he was talking to me and I'm like, John, we got to do this together. (laughs) And, uh, um, He's, he's pretty funny, actually, because we've worked together on projects before. Yeah. Uh, I really like him. And I, I've known him since 2014. Met him at a, a conference. And, uh, you know, we'd see each other every year. But I was like, John, I want in. Like, I really want to work on this with you. And it took some convincing. I think he thought about it for two or three weeks. And... um because I just, I really wanted to get out of info products and courses. (laughs) And I was kind of like looking for my thing. Like I was like, I, 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 you know, I was coming off a pretty big depression. I was, you know, it it had been a hard couple of years and I was thinking, okay, I want to, I want the next thing I'm going to invest myself in. And what is it going to be? And do I, and, and courses and just the idea of like trying, having to do another launch was just so debilitating, <laughs> like a course launch specifically. Yeah. And so, yeah, John thought about it for a couple of weeks and then he was like, yeah, man, let's, let's, let's do it do together. It. So cool. So yeah. yeah. Um, what is the product? We kind of skipped over that part, mm. but, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> So the product, it's a podcast hosting and analytics platform. Cool. So just like you need website hosting for your website, you need podcast hosting for your podcast. Uh, a lot of folks don't actually even know that. Um, that's one of our big hurdles we have to overcome is most folks think you just upload it to Apple. Yeah. Like Apple Podcasts. But That's what I thought when I first started. <laughs> yeah. It's like it was like one of the first documents I wrote was, um, how do I upload my podcast to Apple iTunes or Spotify? In some ways, it seems ridiculous that Apple isn't paying for that bandwidth. You know what I mean? Like, they're happy to pay for the bandwidth for me to download my iOS apps. At least I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, well, I mean, partly because they've never charged for podcasts. Yeah, true. The other thing is that, uh, the you know, when it started... Well, and still to this day, podcasting was built on this really cool open platform called RSS. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of geeks were excited about RSS. They were excited about it for blogs. And, uh, you know, Apple got excited about it in terms of distributing audio and video. And that's where the, the pod came from, right? It was on your iPod. You would yeah. download it to your computer and then you would transfer those MP3s to your iPod and then you would listen to them on the bus. So it's, it, there's some history there as to why it works that way. I think it's actually better because uh, Spotify, for example, rehosts the the feed. Do you, yeah. Are you on Spotify with this show? Yeah, I am. And there's some problems with it. So you still have to host the files in the feed yourself, but now Spotify is rehosting it. And if you look at those terms of use, uh, you know, they're, they're gearing up to do stuff with it, right? They want to put like ads before ads and after. In, yeah. And they, you know, sometimes it's hard because we have customers, we end up doing a lot of support for Spotify. Uh, you know, like they upload a file, upload, the, they replace their MP3 and then it takes like a couple hours for it to happen on Spotify. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, like we don't have a way of managing this. You, despite the fact that RSS is amazing at at that, right? It, yeah, totally. It's, it's not perfect, but anyway. Yeah. That's the product. Awesome, man. So you said John had kind of been working on it for a few months on his own. And mm-hmm. then you kind of came in and were like, listen, I want in on this thing. I want to work on this thing. Yeah. What, how do you, how did you convince John to let you sort of have a piece <laughs> of the pie? Because I think um, for a lot of developers working on their own stuff, yeah, especially people who maybe haven't launched or sold anything online, it's mm-hmm. hard to to see the tangible value that someone is bringing to the table when it's not like slinging code. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you guys have sure. a fifty fifty partnership too. I think right. It's not like John is like, okay, I'll I'll throw you some crumbs as long as you go and do some yeah. marketing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I get this question actually quite a bit from developers. Like, and th- this is how they start the emails. They go, I don't want to offend you, but... <laughs> <laughs> and they go, what What really do you bring to the table? Or, or uh, what, uh, you know, if John is doing all this, uh, the development, and, you know, how does this partnership work? So I think it's a, I think it's a fair question. Um. How, how do I reply, respond to this? One thing is I knew like inside my soul that I would absolutely bring a lot to the table if John and I partnered up. So I had, it wasn't like I was doubting myself like, oh, you know, if John gives me 50%, will I be able to live up to that? <laughs> I knew like I've got, I've got a lot of assets. I've got a, a lot. Of, I know a lot of people in podcasting. I am super, uh, when I, when I go into something, I go into it with a lot of energy, with a lot of focus. I love dealing with customers. I love writing emails. I love, you know, like all these things that you kind of need to run a SaaS company. I knew I could do those things at a high level. And I've been working in SaaS since 2008. So I had all this breadth of experience too that I felt like I could bring to the table. So that helped. I think that that helped because it wasn't like I was doubting myself. Mm-hmm. Like, do I really deserve 50? No, I was like, no, if we're going to do this, I don't want there to be any fucking around. I don't want there to be, you know, me always thinking, well, I guess I just got to take the 30% that John wanted to give me, you know? I, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I didn't want to wake up every day like that. Sure. And on John's side, uh, the truth is, is that, you know, he was, he didn't really have a plan. He didn't really, like, he was kind of hoping it would be his, his solo thing initially, but he, beyond getting cards against humanity to use it, he didn't really know what he was going to do. And so it just works. Like he is a great software developer. He's really good at it. I would say we're both good at product in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to become a good junior developer. But yeah, I, my main task every day is marketing, customer support, networking, PR, uh, all of the other things that, that go into uh, running a SaaS. 
and uh, it's it's really worked out well. I think the other thing that helped is that we were friends. Like we had talked with each other, we had helped each other out on different things, and uh, it wasn't like I knew him super well, but you know I'd spent some good weekends with him. Um, we'd shared a bunch of meals together. We'd we kind of shared some personal details about our life, and all of that kind of led to this feeling of okay, I. I think I can trust uh, John in a partnership and um, him the other way too. Nice. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So how did you get your first couple of customers like after cards was cards the only customer before you came on to help? Yeah. 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 So cards was the only customer uh, they launched every year. They do a big boxing day uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year they decided to fund, it was right after Trump got elected, they decided to fund a full year of uh, a good news podcast. So every day it's only good news. And uh, so we knew that was in the bag. That was actually another big reason I wanted to work with him because John came to some came to the table with something. Uh, there, there's been other projects where the developers even come and said, hey, Justin, why don't we partner up on this? And I thought, okay, well, I could, but it's still just... Just like an idea. It's just an idea. Or even just like, there's tons of these. If you go on Product Hunt or Beta List or whatever, there's, there's nothing there to kind of ground it. But I knew that already we had social proof with Cards Against Humanity. Yeah. And so after that, uh, the first thing I did was I started... Um, John already had a waiting list, but I started promoting the waiting list more. So I think when I joined, John had like maybe a hundred people on the list. And then, uh, by the time we launched, we had over a thousand. Okay. But up going up to launch, I started, um, promoting it to my audience, started promoting and I would, I would kind of leak out these little beta invites where you could, um, get a podcast on Transistor for a lower price than we were planning on, you know, having when we launched. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got our first, I would say 80% of those customers came from my audience. So before we launched, about 80% of those were just folks that followed me on Twitter or were in my newsletter or were in Mega Maker. It was all yeah. folks kind of surrounding me. Okay. And that, so that was helpful for sure. So with like the pre-launch stuff, what was your, like, how did you convince people to sign up to get notified about a product that isn't exactly like something completely innovative? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if someone's itching to start a podcast and Transistor's four months out from launch or whatever, like mm-hmm. they could still launch a podcast. There's nothing stopping them. So yeah. what, like, do you, did you do anything to get people excited specifically about Transistor? Yeah, I mean, I think at the time we really didn't know. I'm I'm trying to bring myself back to that stage because you really don't know <laughs> why people are going to sign up. Yeah, like now I know that about 38 percent of our customers switch from somewhere else. Okay, but at the beginning we didn't know if all of our customers were going to be people starting brand new podcasts they'd never podcasted before. I think there was a few things we did right. One is I had been building this audience for, you know, uh, eight years or something, 10 years. Yeah, 10 years by this point. And so I had this big group of people that had already been following my journey. And all of a sudden, I had this new talking point in my journey. Hey, folks, this is what I'm doing now. Uh, You know, I told people about my depression. I told people about my ups and downs. I told people about how much I'd made on every single launch I'd ever done. And now this is just a new chapter. Sure. In 2018, I'm launching a SaaS product with my friend, John Buddha. That is helpful. All of a sudden, people have a reason to sign up. So if they were considering two things, uh, you know, maybe they're considering Simplecast or Transistor, they might have been like, oh man, but I've been following Justin's work forever. And seriously, I've, I've got, I don't know, at least five, 10 emails from my mailing list that said, you know, Justin, I, I could have chosen anyone, but I just signed up for Transistor because of your story, because 
you've been sharing so much all you know people who, who had been with me for a long time yeah so i think that is an advantage uh i think there was other things too like we had the social proof that cards against humanity was using us mm-hmm. sometimes also just being the fresh new thing really helps and so if you've been using libsyn and you're just tired of their ugly interface um you know transistor looks pretty appealing hey i'm gonna go check that out so uh yeah i think i think there was a there's a number of factors that helped in the beginning but i think sharing our story really helped and we started our podcast probably in march so leading up to launch we were publishing episodes and sharing all of our anxieties and all of our doubts and everything and yeah people were responding to it so uh, i think all of that i think all of that helped in the beginning yeah nice something i think is kind of interesting that i have a hard time like forming a fully formed opinion on that i'd be curious to know like what you think Mm -hmm. is um you kind of talked about how like you think like there's a bunch of people that chose transistor because they sort of have this like relationship with you in some mm-hmm. way through either listening to your podcast or like getting value from some other stuff you've done or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, even if like trying to compare transistor versus some alternatives at like some purely checklist level, mm-hmm. um, some alternative would have won for whatever reason, like whatever factor they mm-hmm. still chose you guys just because of like that feeling of like that personal relationship, that sort of loyalty, something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I worry, like, does that feel like a risky th- way to be getting customers? You know what I mean? It kind of feels like, man, like, it kind of scares me that, like, the only reason people are choosing us versus something else. I'm not saying this about Transistor specifically, yeah. but just, like, this general concept. It's mm-hmm. like, man, like, I, like, I'm betting a lot on just, like, people wanting to support me versus the product on its own being exactly what they need at the right price or whatever. Yeah. So I worry about that in some ways, but then on the other side, as a cons- like, I worry about that as like a creator. Mm-hmm. But then as a consumer, I can definitely think of situations where there's companies that like I am just going to choose them because like I think the people who run it are good people, and I do want to support those people. And it does seem totally rational to me from the consumer side. Like mm-hmm. if like Wildbit put out a product, I would want to buy it from them versus someone else because the people there are just nice and great and they yeah. made good stuff before or like if Basecamp puts something out it's like i've gotten so much value from them over the years from so many articles they've written or whatever and i have so much respect for them that's like mm-hmm. i want to like their offering more than others f- because i like them as people mm-hmm. so what is your kind of like your take on that in, in general do you think about that much i think there's two kind of stages uh, the first stage is you just have to get people's attention you just have to get them in the door. So it's like, you know, we've, we've both been into music at different times of our life. We're still into music. So you can, a band can say, hey, we're performing in Toronto tonight. And if you like that band, you'll show up. You'll pay the ticket price, etc. But if they suck, like if they blow it, if they're, if they're totally rude, if they, you know, they don't play any of their hits, if their sound sounds shitty, you'll be like, I'm never going to go see another one of their shows. <laughs> but they got you in the door, which is the first part. And that's the problem most people have is they think that if I just build the greatest product ever, that's enough to get people in the door. But it's not, it doesn't work exactly like that. It's, um, <laughs> On one hand, it does work like that. On the other hand, it doesn't. So I'm just saying there's a lot of emotional factors that lead to somebody buying anything. Now, whether they're satisfied with that purchase, whether they tell other people about that purchase, whether they continue to pay you, that's a whole other ballgame. Sure. The first step is you you just need something that gets people in the door. And uh, for us initially, this is, by the way, my audience, I would say, has very little to do with our growth now. Um, so this really helped in the beginning, and it's become less important uh, as we've gone along. But in the beginning, you just need to give folks a reason to care. Uh, you yeah. need to give people a reason to pay attention. And if, you know, this is why 
sometimes being an opening act for a band is so helpful, right? If you're opening for Maiden, everyone's there to see Maiden. But if you like just fucking, fucking rock, yeah, yeah, people are going to remember that and they're going to go, okay, well, Maiden was good, but next time I see Holy Grail play, I'm going to go see them. Yeah. And this is, um, you know, you got to give people a reason to care. So th- there's that. I think it is important at the beginning to have something, some sort of emotional hook. And by the way, these this part of the purchasing process is very emotional, right? Because until you have the product, you can't really assess it. You, you can <laughs> kind of guess what it would be like. Even at like buying a Tesla, you might have gone and test driven one. You might have, you know, you might have used your friend's car or been in your friend's car. But until you get one, and drive it every single day. You don't really know what it's like. So everything that you're, every, the reason you're buying it is emotional. You're like, oh man, I can't, I can just imagine myself in that car and uh, all my friends have one, so I'll fit in. Uh, I really like Elon. He's the best, you know. Those are all very emotional reasons. And uh, typically I've seen, especially developers, they don't always like that idea that maybe people are buying products for emotional reasons. Yeah. And it it is way more emotional at that stage than rational. And the Got more it. rational you think you're being when you buy something, probably the more emotional you're really being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. I think um, that's an interesting way to look at it, thinking about it like, it's not like you're banking on this forever. Ultimately, you're banking on the product doing what it says on the tin and people being happy with the service. Mm-hmm. But you kind of got to use whatever advantage you have to get people in the door and to get noticed. That's right. That's right. And, you know, a lot of times people will trust you if this, the free stuff you put out is really good. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, if people like with you, people saw you speak at conferences, they read your blog, they listened to your podcast. And then when you put out refactoring to collections, they thought, OK, Adam's stuff is really high quality. I can safely assume that this will also be high quality. Yeah. And that that often is true. Right. Uh, not always. You know, every once in a while, your favorite band puts out a bad album. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, that's true. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Cloudinary. So if I had to describe Cloudinary myself, it's basically just the best way to store and serve images that I've ever seen. In the past, I used to use generic storage services like Amazon S3 to store and serve images, uh, but after switching to Cloudinary, I genuinely cannot believe I ever did this stuff any other way. Uh, So here's one example of how Cloudinary has made my life easier. Uh, So you probably know that typically images are the heaviest resource your users have to download when they visit your site, right? Usually way more than your JavaScript or CSS. So in the past, I would spend a lot of time tweaking settings and tools like Image Alpha and Image Optim to try and optimize my image files so they weren't as large. Uh, With Cloudinary, I can just upload the full resolution file without even really thinking about it. And then by just adding a parameter to the image URL that I get back, uh, when I go to serve it on my site, Cloudinary will automatically optimize that image as best as it can, usually resulting in file sizes that are actually lower than what I was seeing when trying to optimize the images by hand. Uh, This is even more useful for like user uploaded images because instead of trying to do some fancy automatic image optimization in a background job on my own server or something, I can just send those images directly to Cloudinary from the browser, request the optimized version back by adding that URL parameter, and bam, I've got an optimized image at a really small file size. Uh, So there's an enormous amount of other cool stuff that you can do through the URL-based API. That's really just scratching the surface, but you can do stuff like request images at different sizes so you can serve smaller images on mobile devices so you're not wasting bandwidth. Uh, You can crop images to different dimensions. You can crop images using face detection, so just crop to the faces in an image. Uh, You can automatically add watermarks or text overlays or tons of different effects and stuff like that. It's a seriously impressive service. So Cloudinary has an amazing free plan where you can store 300,000 images and videos. Yeah, did I mention you can do all this crazy stuff, not just with images, but also with videos too. Uh, You get 10 gigabytes of storage and 20 gigabytes of monthly bandwidth on this free plan Uh, so if you're not already using them definitely head over to cloudinary.com and check it out it really is one of my absolute favorite services that i use on my own projects thanks a ton to cloudinary for sponsoring this episode back to the show 
So you, you mentioned that in the early days, um, a lot of your customers sort of came like from your audience and that was kind of like a good way for you to kind of get the ball rolling. Do you think mm-hmm. specifically in your case that worked because your audience was sort of a lot of people with aspirations to grow an audience and a podcast is a great way to grow an audience and you're just kind of able to help mm-hmm. people along that journey and because they already have this relationship with you and like the stuff that you do mm-hmm. it's like oh justin's doing a podcast hosting thing you know mm-hmm. i've sort of been thinking about doing a podcast but never really prioritized it but you know now that this thing's coming out and like i like justin and i care about supporting him maybe i'll give it like a serious mm-hmm. try do you think that's kind of like how it worked yeah and i think that's actually really helpful if you're starting a company seth godin has this great line that I keep repeating over and over again, which is people like us do things like this. And if you can start a company where you are saying, well, people like me are podcasting. So I'm going to start a company that's in the podcasting sphere. Man, does that help? Because you're bringing so much to the table. You're bringing your experience, your enthusiasm, but then you're bringing also the people like you, right? And, you know, like I was just looking around, all my friends and my peers, they're all starting podcasts. Taylor Otwell has a podcast. Adam Wathen has a podcast. The CSS Tricks folks have a podcast. Nathan Berry had a podcast, and he's thinking about starting another one. Basecamp just just rebooted their podcast. When there's a feeling like, oh, these are people like me. Well, if people like me are doing things like this, what a great market to be in, right? Sure. And I think this is why I've been really getting into the Honey Badger podcast lately. They have one called Founder Quest. Mm -hmm. And when you hear them, it's so clear that, you know, that the customers for Honey Badger are people like them. And it just, it really does make things a lot easier. I think it's actually a, a helpful evolution of scratch your own itch. I think scratch your own itch can be tricky because sometimes you're the only person with that itch. And so, sure. you you know, you, you, you might have just like this crazy inane idea that's super specific and then you launch it and you're like, oh, well, turns out there weren't a lot of people like me. But if you are in a group, a large market segment that is big already or is growing really fast and you're like oh, those are people like me. Man, is that a great market to get into? Yeah, that's an interesting distinction, actually. So it's it's like, yeah, scratch your own itch. Maybe that's like, oh, I'm building like a CSV importer for roadkill collectors who, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like some yeah. hyper-specific thing. Yeah. But something about what you're saying is more like trying to build something that is highly aligned with like just like the identity of some group that you kind of see yourself being part of, which is abstract and sort of like hard to like turn into something concrete maybe, but maybe you have some ideas of how that manifests in a more concrete way. Think of it like this. So, uh, people like us don't drink Tim Hortons coffee. We drink Starbucks coffee. That would be a big generalization, but you already get a picture of what those two groups are, are like, right? Tim Hortons, especially in Canada, it's like a bunch of farmers. Uh, you know, it's like the average the average Joe, right? Starbucks, I mean, Starbucks is becoming a little bit more whatever, but maybe you just get a different picture, right? Sure. There's, there's a lot of white Escalades in the, the drive through for Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's one generalization. Uh, people like us, so, so uh, PHP developers like us do things this way, but... Uh, what would be what would be the opposite of PHP? Like functional programmers like them do things like that, right? Like you sure. get it if, as soon as you you hear functional programming, you're like, okay, those are those folks. And as soon as you hear PHP, you you kind of get a sense of okay, those are two different groups. And I it it's abstract in the sense that if you if you're as soon as you're in that group and you're going, okay, what are you know, Ruby on Rails developers like me doing, or what are Ruby on Rails shops like us doing? It becomes a lot clearer, right? So Honey Badger was like, okay, well, 
if you have a web app, so people who run web apps like us generally need things like this, and they generally buy things like this, right? Uh, our friend Ben Ornstein is banking on this idea that teams who pair program generally need something like Screen Hero. And so it's a pretty good bet that if they were buying Screen Hero before, they might be interested in buying Tuple now, right? Mm -hmm. Because shops like that do things like this. That's what they do. It, it might be more of a stretch to say, you know, if, if there's no evidence of shops like this doing anything like that, then you might be like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's not a good place to be. But I, I think a lot of it just comes from like observing your reality and going, okay, well, what do, you know, people like us do? What do businesses like ours do? What do teams like ours, how do teams like ours operate? And this does require you to get out into the real world and see more than just your own reality. Hope, yeah. Like it would require you to interface with other people, other teams, other organizations. But if you start to see a trend and even on Twitter, sometimes you can notice this, right? Like um, a while ago, there was a big migration from drip to convert kit. Mm -hmm. And the, the narrative was people like us don't use drip anymore. People yeah. like us use ConvertKit. <laughs> and you could see it. You could notice it. Oh, everybody. It, it was like a mob mentality, right? Yeah. We're all bandwagon mentality. We're all jumping on the bandwagon. We're all moving. And those are interesting to me when you see those, those events. And it could be, I mean, maybe Derek Reimer is going to be able to take advantage of this. Maybe teams are so, teams like us are so fed up of Slack and not getting any work done that they would be interested in something like this. Yeah. That's what he's banking on. And it might work because if, if that is kind of this pent, if there's pent up demand for something like that, and we've already seen people switch before, right? We saw people go from hip chat to Slack and that was a weird one. That was like, what was wrong with hip chat? It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> and then all of a sudden people are like, yeah. no, people like us don't use hip chat. Yeah. I, can re I can remember having that conversation. I was working for a SaaS company and I was like, can we not use HipChat anymore? And my boss was like, well, why? Like HipChat's fine. I'm like, uh. and basically Iro what I... Ironically, it's just not hip enough anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ironically, exactly. <laughs> and I tried to communicate like, why, why is Slack better? But it, at the end of the day, I was just like, well, people like us don't use HipChat. Every, people like us use slack yeah like if if we want to be associated with the group of people that we want to be associated with mm -hmm. like this just doesn't feel mm -hmm. i feel i feel like we don't fit in with that's right making this choice that's right so something related to that that i think is interesting like kind of maybe building on that yeah that, um like what you've been talking about kind of made me think about this is i love that idea of like people like us do things like this i also think there's something really big about uh, people like them do things like that and I want to fit in with them. Mm -hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I, f I feel like for, for like my products, for example, like my, my tester and development course, it's like good developers test their code mm -hmm. and I want to be a good developer. So yeah. I better learn how to do this. Yeah. Um, which is a little bit different, I guess, than like, well, I already am a good developer or something, you know what I mean? Or That's like, right. We want to be seen as one of the cool startups in town, so we should probably have like a neon sign because yeah. that's what cool startups have, Or you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, totally. It, it, so much of it has to do with status, with the way you see yourself, with the way you see your group, with the group you want to be in. I remember in school, elementary school, going from grade eight to grade nine, and I changed social groups. Have you ever done that? I'm sure I have, but I can't think of it. It, specific. it, it doesn't stand out in my memory, really. I yeah. mean, this was like a big event in my life, so I, I remember mm -hmm. it clearly because it was, it was, I was moving on from one friend group, which was really hard, but I really wanted to be a part of this other group. And, um, you know, when people make decisions like that, a lot of it is, you know, what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of folks do I want surrounding me? What kind of uh, identity do I want to have? And we're really still asking those questions today, right? Like totally. The, the, the groups we decide to be, it, whether 
when you choose view over react, part of you is making a rational decision about what technology you like working with, but part of you is also making a identity decision. Yeah, that's a really good example, actually. That's a that is a lot more. I think will resonate with people a lot stronger than like the PHP developers versus functional developers mm-hmm. one because that hits me like, yep, those are two groups with different philosophies who believe different and different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, I don't really understand it completely, but I, I, I think Vue is a little bit more independent. It's like React came out of Facebook. Um, it does feel like, and maybe there's some other differences too, but I'm just saying there's clearly some identity going on there. Totally. So, um, I think, I guess trying to get back to the story here, that was a really interesting, (laughs) I mean, honestly, like this is why I love having conversation with you. Cause I I always come into it with like a plan of like, this is what we're going to talk about. And then we just sort of get taken in another direction that I wasn't (laughs) expecting. That's full of like really interesting insights. Um, but you know, we were talking about like what kind of worked for you to kind of get this first batch of customers and kind of get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that that isn't how things are working for you now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to continue on this story of like where, how you guys got up to like this 10 K MRR. And maybe we don't have to talk about specific milestones and what worked where or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I am curious to know, like that kind of worked at the beginning, kind of got you to where you are now. What have you been, what have you tried since then? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, uh, right now, our all of our metrics are public. So if you go to transistor.bearmetrics.com, you can you can look at all these charts and um, you can select all time, and it'll say February twenty sixth, two thousand eighteen, till April fifteenth, two thousand nineteen, which is where where we're at today. Um, so yeah, you'll notice in the graph it's like really flat at like seven hundred forty one dollars per month until we launched in August. And then it goes from 800 bucks to about $1,700 in MRR from, you know, after launch. And then it just kind of grows. It grows at a pretty good rate, like 30, 40, 20, 25, 23% per month. Um, And what got us there is a combination of things. But the biggest surprise has been a lot of our growth and probably in the last three or four months has come from affiliates. So like ConvertKit, um, if you use our product and you like it, you can re- recommend it to, a f- to your following. It's, this doesn't really work like with friends, but if you have a big audience yourself, you can recommend it to your audience and we will pay you 25% of revenue recurring as long as that person is a customer. Mm-hmm. And here's the here's the kind of crazy thing. Our top affiliate heard me on Matt Giovannici's podcast, on the okay. Money Lab podcast. Yeah. And then checked out Transistor, loved the player, and he did he put us in a review he'd done on his blog alongside other podcast hosts and had reached out to me and said, do you have an affiliate program? Now this intersects with another kind of weird (laughs) turn of events, which is my friend Kyle Fox, who I've been friends with forever. I did the product people podcast with him. He's just a super solid dude. Uh, And I, he was starting a affiliate, affiliate software manager called rewardful. And, uh, I just want to take a little tangent here, just like go off to the side for a second. He had to contact me so many times to get me on board. And I just say that because he's like a good friend. Like I would do almost anything for him, but it took him probably 15 emails and messages to get me on a screen share so he could show me Rewardful and get me signed up. And that's like my friend. So if, if you're working on something and, you know, I mean, don't be, don't be uh, uh, so persistent that you're obnoxious. But I'm saying sometimes it takes a while to, to get people on board. So he kind of convinced me. And, and part of the friction actually was I was like, I don't know if John is going to like this. Like, do we even want an affiliate program? It just brought up like this weird discussion we'd have to have. And, but, you know, Kyle demoed it for me and then I showed it to John. John's like, yeah, let's do it. So we just, we just like 
scripts set it up. And uh, it's really easy. All you do is it, it just connects kind of instantly with Stripe, and then you're off to the race. So this, going back to the story, this affiliate, this blogger basically heard me on Matt Giovannici's podcast, reached out to me and said, do you have an affiliate program? I'm like, well, actually we do. <laughs> we just set it up. And so, you know, we got him set up on there and now he's like driving a ton of referrals our way. And yeah, I, without him and some of these other affiliates now too are starting to pick up as well. Like that's a big portion of our customers. Awesome. Yeah, that's really interesting, right? Because it's kind of like you're just like incentivizing like word of mouth, basically, which is always talked about as kind of like the holy grail mm-hmm. marketing funnel in general. Like if people like it and will recommend it to mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. like that's kind of like the the best way for you to kind of kind of grow. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a great way to grow. Anyways, it's easier than buying Facebook ads and doing all this stuff. Like people take other people's recommendations with a lot more. Um, they, they put a lot more kind of value in that than like, you know, some other sort of cheap advertising tactic or whatever. Yeah. And you're basically, with an affiliate program, you're incentivizing that a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's essentially marketing is always investing in somebody or something that has an audience. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's advertisers on this podcast. They are adver- they're paying you upfront to Speak to your audience. Yeah. Uh, Affiliates is interesting because you pay them on the back end. So they have a big audience. They talk about your product and or recommend your product. And then if people end up saying, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good product for me. Instead of paying them up front, you pay them afterwards. And that's interesting. It's it's like I could we could gamble our money and buy an ad mm -hmm. on your blog or something. Right. And say, here's five grand or whatever to run a transistor banner on your site for a week. Mm -hmm. But what you're doing is basically saying like, we want you to basically like prove that you can get us customers. And as long as you can prove it, we're happy to give you money. So Mm -hmm. in some ways it's interesting because I think an affiliate program for a lot of people, when they first hear about it, it's like, I don't want to give away revenue every month. Like Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to keep that. I don't want to give that away to people. Yeah. But when you look at it on the flip side, it's like, actually all you're doing is like, paying for advertising that proved that it worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I I would like to keep that revenue too. (laughs) Sure. Don't get me wrong. And it is, uh, I mean, it's a gamble, right? We're paying 25% ongoing. So ads can be a lot cheaper because I just pay once. And, you know, if I invest $5,000 now and I get a customer, you know, a bunch of customers that last a lifetime, hopefully I'm getting paid back a lot better, but this is one channel that can work and gives you guaranteed customers. Yeah. You're paying a higher price to know that you're not spending anything unless you were making Mm -hmm. four X that that's right at the top. And I remember talking to Rob Walling about this years ago and saying, Rob, your audience must've really helped you launch drip. And he was like, well, it helped in the beginning, but after that, it doesn't really matter that much. And I thought he was lying to me. I thought he was like, yeah, whatever, Rob. Because I had the same feeling a lot of people do, which is like, if you have a big audience, you have this kind of big unfair advantage and you know, <laughs> you're, you're, it's just easier for people who have a big audience. Now, part of that's true. Like at the beginning, it is easier. But what I'm seeing more and more is that there was a ceiling to how much my audience was going to, you know, maybe 10% of my audience, um, or sorry, maybe 10% of our customers have come from my audience, but it's probably not going to grow a ton from, you know, from here on out. Now we've got to focus on repeatable channels that will bring us new customers every month. And Mm -hmm. that means search engine optimization. That means ads. That means affiliates that means you know increasing word of mouth and ironically all of these things kind of play into each other like a good affiliate technically really helps your search engine optimization yeah yeah for sure because they want to be found in search results Mm -hmm. too right 
a good affiliate also increases your word of mouth. All of a sudden you've, you've, they're telling everybody about your product and recommending it. So these things we're learning, you know, all of these things kind of play, play together. And, uh, I think the other thing we've been able to leverage is that people like us do things like this. So you know, the Honey Badger podcast is on Transistor. Taylor Otwell's podcast is on Transistor. And, you know, there's some folks that already have a podcasting host. They're less likely to switch. But if you're a tech company or a tech brand or a or you're in the tech space and you've got a personal brand in the tech space, it's a good chance that you're going to look at Transistor. And um, that's good for us. That That means that we're, you know, we're attracting this one kind of group that, is thinking about us. But, but on the other hand, we have like, we have so many podcasts that have nothing to do with that group either. Sure. And they're just looking on Google for like, you know, nicest podcast player. And then they <laughs> come to us and they like, Oh, I do like this one a lot better than this one. And that's why they choose us. Right. Nice. That's interesting that that's a big factor considering how many people listen to podcasts on like mobile. I don't know if you're just saying that as just like a random example, but you mentioned it a couple of times now. Yeah. So. Um, oh, the, sorry, the podcast player part? Yeah, 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 that people... Yeah, like, well, because a lot of people want it on their website. And yeah, so they just want to embed it right on their website. Yeah, so they, they don't want it to make their whole website look like garbage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's just another... It's interesting, actually, what, what brings people in the door. And yeah. I think that's something else you need to keep in mind like go back and listen to all of our like early build your SaaS episodes. And we're just guessing. We have no idea. We're just it. And, and to think about what we were thinking before and what's actually turned out to be true. It's funny because a lot of what we thought would be true ended up not being true. And mm. you really don't know until you've started. And, and I think also in the beginning, there's these, there's kind of aspirational things that you want to be true. You know, like everybody in the bootstrapping communities is like, okay, you got to charge more and you got to focus on this one audience. You got to focus on like high value customers. And you know, those are the ones you want to go after. And it's all like really kind of nice (laughs) in theory until you start the company. And then it's like, Oh, wait a second. These are the people that are showing up at our shows to go back to the band metaphor, right? Like, you might be abandoned. You might be like, we only want this, these type of fans, but pretty soon you figure out what kind of fans you have. And (laughs) you you don't really know that until you start. Right. So I think some of that kind of theoretical aspirational, uh, you know, there's, yeah. And all the tropes of starting a startup, you learn, you learn as you go along, which of those is true for you and which is not. And you Mm -hmm. learn how much is dependent on context. Like you could launch a SaaS tomorrow and affiliates does nothing for you. Uh, It, you know, like there's so many, so many variables and it's helpful to hear new ideas. Like there might be someone listening going, Oh, I never thought of affiliates. That's a cool idea. Yeah, Something to try now. Yeah. But until you test it out until you actually do it, you don't, there's, it doesn't matter. Right. And yeah, that's been really interesting. Cause I would have never thought that this is where we'd be. And, um, yes. And now I'm like, okay, how do we not just rely on affiliates? How do we spread this out? How do we find other channels that work? There's all this other kind of work we have to do. Um, and we, t- you know, eventually we've got to make this work so that we get paid a reasonable salary and, you know, There's all sorts of other questions that are going to come up too. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is DigitalOcean. So DigitalOcean is a simple, developer-friendly cloud platform optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. Uh, I've personally been a customer of DigitalOcean for about five years, and I use them to host all of my server-side projects, like my custom course platform, for example, which is built with Laravel. A lot of the guests that I've had on the show in the past are DigitalOcean 
customers as well. Uh, for example, Taylor Otwell, the creator of Laravel, he uses DigitalOcean to host all of his products like Envoyer and Laravel Forge. And Jeffrey Way actually uses DigitalOcean to host Laracasts as well. Uh, one of DigitalOcean's newest features that I'm personally really excited about is managed databases, uh, which lets you spin up a completely managed database server so you don't have to worry about anything like backups, uh, managing read-only replicas, or just general server maintenance. Now, DigitalOcean is already an extremely affordable service. You can spin up a server for as little as $5 a month, uh, but they've been kind enough to offer a free $100 credit to full stack radio listeners. So if you want to give DigitalOcean a spin, head over to do.co slash full stack, all one word, to claim your $100 credit. Uh, thanks so much to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. Maybe the last topic that would be interesting to get into, um, kind of touching on what we started with, sort of like, you know, it's 50-50 partnership. What's Justin doing? Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to know, like, what does your day-to-day look like Like when you're working on Transistor? What sort of activities are you spending your time on? What sort of projects are are you working on? You know, what sort of stuff are, are you putting out there? Um, mm-hmm. Any stuff that, like, especially people that are developers that are trying to launch their own thing, maybe don't realize you know how much time has to be put into x y or z or or stuff that like people just don't realize they should be doing at all that's that's super important that's been uh making a big difference for you yeah i mean uh okay i i would say there's a lot that has to happen before you even launch like you you definitely need to be building a network or or partnering up with someone who has some sort of network because uh, that's been really helpful at uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, so on a day-to-day basis, I answer a lot of customer support. We have mm-hmm. a live chat widget, and I probably, I mean, some of these are the same chat thread, but I probably reply 10, 20 times a day to different live chats. Uh, and it's super important. Like we need that right now. I learn a ton from our customers. I'm, you know, basically if they suggest features, I'm putting it in a list and going, okay, well just waiting for certain things to kind of bubble to the top. I'm putting a lot in our project management software for like, okay, what kind of feature should we be building? What, you know, what, what are the features we want to prioritize? What do they look like? I mock those up in HTML and usually like uh, do a screencast of those to kind of communicate to John what I'm thinking. What else? I do a ton of writing. So I'm like writing new blog posts all the time. Uh, I just did one (laughs) called how to create a podcast, which is like, there's so many of those out there right now, but I've got to figure out how to make it different. That's actually kind of interesting. I never really, um, I never noticed that like there's like a transistor blog or anything because I don't feel like you personally push that out a ton. No, I I mean I I post some things on my personal Twitter feed, but a lot of it is like, like okay. SEO strategies. Yeah, stuff. like this how to start a podcast. So if you go to transistor.fm slash blog, you you can see these. But that how to start a podcast uh, piece, you know, I'm targeting certain keywords. And then I'm starting to try to like, you know, share it with folks that might want to link to it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get it out there. I might like cross post some of it to Quora and, you know, highlight the relevant pieces and then say, read the less rest of the guide over here and then link to the, the blog. But yeah, I mean, how many posts? I, there's three pages of posts here that I've done already. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big part. And yeah, cross-posting it to different places that might be interesting. Um, man, it's just, it's, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I do a lot of screencasts, so I've been doing a ton of video, writing a lot of our help docs, mm-hmm. um, because you realize really quick, like, if people can't find answers themselves, they'll ask you, which takes your time, and so just putting all of that, you know, in our help section is really helpful. What else? Working on integrations and partnerships. We just did one with Chartable. What else? I'm looking through all the things we've just I've just finished. Oh, researching pricing tiers. This was a huge one. 
uh, we haven't done this yet, but we're going to be changing what's in each tier. And so okay. I did this big project where it was like just looking at what all the competitors were doing, what our customers were saying in terms of what they wanted. <laughs> we just did our taxes, which is a, <laughs> a, a big thing. Uh, updated our privacy policy. Uh, I went through the onboarding process and I did it live. So I did a live stream of just me signing up for my own app with a credit card and getting people to give me feedback as I was signing up um, and then making that into a big list of things that we would change. The, the craziest thing, you know, because I've been just like anybody else, I've been uh, a sideline critic or driver of other companies, been like, why don't you do this, you know? And when you're in it, you realize that <laughs> the, the problem is you have too much coming at you all at once, right? Like there's only so much you can accomplish. And so the ideas that we could do of things we could do are infinite. It's just, we have to prior somehow prioritize what we're going to build, what we're going to focus on. That part is super hard. And yeah, we spend a lot of time just thinking about, okay, how are we going to move forward? And, uh, and, and and saying no to a lot of things so mm-hmm. we can build like a few big things. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. Um, I'm trying to see what else. Yeah, bugs. I, and I do, I have been trying to, my, my goal is like once a week for me to at least have one pull request. Nice. It hasn't always equaled out that, but a simple feature like right now you can have episode artwork and show artwork, but users want the episode artwork to show up as the social sharing image. That's a fairly simple feature for someone like me to work on. Yeah. And so uh, I've been working in working on stuff like that. So every every week or two, I'll have a new pull request. But it's a lot of work, man. Like I I love it. Like every part of it is is super exciting and especially dealing with customers. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but wow, it's just, you just realize how much there is to do. You'll never get it all done. I'm really help. I'm actually really happy. I'm not doing any of this alone. Like John and I have both had this feeling of like, Oh, thank God there's someone else here. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, um, Two more quick questions actually for you. Yeah. How much time do you think you're spending like a week on Transistor now? Because you kind of have to keep your other business going a little bit too, at mm-hmm. least, right? Yeah. Lately, it's been about 80% of nice. my time, but I'm really letting, like, I don't have a ton of revenue coming in on the other, <laughs> on the other yeah. uh, stuff. And so you're betting a little bit on this because like things are moving in the right direction, revenue's going up and stuff. So it feels like, yeah, it is hard though. You're kind of stuck in the middle of two, like John and I are both stuck in the middle of two realities. On one hand, you know, we've got the old thing that's still paying our bills. And on the other hand, we have the promise of the new thing. And again, until we launched, I always thought, ah, whatever, that'll be easy when we get to it. It's hard. It's hard to be in that in-between stage, but we paid ourselves for the first time last month from Transistor. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you as the second question. Like, are you guys paying yourselves yeah, at all yet? Yeah, we're doing this something cool that I think other people should do too. Um, it's loosely based on this book called Profit First. Okay. And basically, you just set some general percentages. So if you make, let's say you get a $1,000 deposit from Stripe, yep. 50% of that goes to salaries. Okay. 15% of that go, is saved for taxes. 5% of that is saved for uh, profit. Okay. And then the rest is expenses. And the idea is you, you transfer these monies first before you have a chance to spend it on anything else. So whatever's sure. left over, that's what you can spend on expenses. Yeah. So if it's, if your expenses are higher than that, you got to figure out how to yeah. get your expenses down. Like the idea is, you shouldn't have to spend all your money on expenses. You should. That's that's right. And yeah. the but the other cool thing about it is it this scales regardless of what stage you're at. If you made a hundred bucks last month, you go okay. Fifty dollars is for salaries. 
$15 is for taxes, $5 is for profit. And it also scales up as you, you know, maybe you eventually need to hire people. You get in the habit of always setting aside 50% for salaries. It just becomes a habit. And so, you know, John and I could decide, you know, we're, we, we're putting aside 50% for salaries every month and we could decide not to take all of that for ourselves. We could save up until we have enough for a year's worth of salary for another mm-hmm. developer or something. So yeah, we've just started doing that. It's been really good. I'm, I'm excited about it because it feels good to get paid for the thing that you're doing. Yeah. And do you feel like you're paying yourselves enough now now that your MRR is up, you know, it looks like you're just cracked 11 K mm-hmm. cause I was just looking at bare metrics. Yeah. Do you feel like you're taking out enough now that it feels like, yeah, this is like real money now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so last month I think we each paid ourselves. I don't know. It was like 3,500 yeah. uh, because it was like, uh, in inter- uh, net revenue was something like 12 or 13,000. And then we divide that in half and then we split that between the two of us. So yeah, so that's sweet. Like that's maybe not enough, mm-hmm. right? If depending on like, you know, your circumstances or whatever. But that that is that's a real salary for a lot of people. Yeah, and other jobs. Yeah. So that's like that's not like oh we paid ourselves like four hundred bucks each or whatever. It's like no, like you can actually, you know, mm-hmm. allocate this to like a big portion of your monthly expenses, and it's like really making a dent in things. Oh yeah. It's, it's huge. It's it, especially since like my other business was doing like between six and 9,000 a month, but it's just Mm -hmm. recently started to go back down again. And so to have transistors slowly going up really, yeah, really helps. And I think you also get this picture of, okay, if this continues, then eventually, and it also gives you a a sense of where we need to be to really do this well, really we need to be at about forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars MRR, right? To even kind yeah. of get hit a baseline of whatever, a hundred thousand dollars each for salaries. Sure. Um, to get there, we're gonna have to at least be at forty thousand, fifty thousand, somewhere around there. So it's like, okay, wow, this ten K is good, but we 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 have some work to do, right? Sure. Nice man. Well, that's really exciting. I'm really, uh, I'm really stoked for you guys. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, it could all fall apart tomorrow, but for for right now, it's good. I know, man. It's been good. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, man. It's been awesome to to kind of follow along with the story and and see it work because so many of the times, like you hear about someone starting something new, you keep up with it, but it just kind of fizzles out mm-hmm. and, and doesn't go anywhere. Like that seems to be like nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's cool to see like you guys started on this thing and like. I feel like you've sort of crossed the chasm or at least pretty close to like, mm-hmm. this probably isn't going to die now. You know what I yeah. mean? Like this is a real deal. We got like a bunch of customers using it for real stuff. Yeah. Like it's, it's not just like a little thing on the side that may or may not work out. It's like, like it's going in the right direction for sure. And that's really awesome to see. Yeah, it is actually, it's the first time I've felt like I'm in a market segment that is really moving fast. Like before, you know, like I was selling this course called Marketing for Developers and there was like a handful of people that were interested in that and they loved it and it was it was fine. But this really feels like, as opposed to being in a little stream, it feels like I'm in a rushing river. And that won't last forever, but right now there's just a lot of momentum. And I think I keep trying to, communicate this to folks, but there is something about this. The market segment you choose is almost the most important thing. And now that I'm in this one and I'm like, whoa, like all my guesses about this market segment actually turned out to be, a lot of them turned out to be true. There's a lot of momentum here and it's a lot easier to sell something when people are just already already looking for it and there's a bunch of movement there. As opposed to, you know, trying to convince developers that they should really like marketing. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome, man. So um, wrapping up, what's the best way for people to sort of keep up with what you guys are working on with Transistor? Uh, Is there anything that you just kind of wanted to leave people with? Any other ideas? And do you have anything that you want to plug or share? Uh, I think the big, I think people should just sign up for my newsletter because that's where I share a lot of the kind of like day-to-day grind stuff. And that's justinjackson.ca. 
um, it's right there. Awesome. Um, if people want to check out your podcast, where can they find that? That's build your SaaS, as in software as a service, S A A S. And yeah, you can find it everywhere. It's awesome. it's all over the place. <laughs> cool, man. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on and chatting with me about this. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. You gave me a lot of interesting things uh, to think about. And yeah, I'm really excited to see what the future holds for you guys. Thanks. I appreciate the support. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Justin Jackson. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 113. Thanks to DigitalOcean and Cloudinary for sponsoring the podcast this week. And we'll see you next time.